0: Well, I want to make just a brief pastoral announcement while I have a moment here, and that is to let everybody know that as posted at the end of the bulletin, there is the notice about the reception that will be held in members of Scott Monrad today from two to four, and just in the point of clarity that that will in fact uh, not be a barbecue. So that is an error that is printed in the bulletin. So attend as you are able. Well, today, I just want to give everybody fair warning that we're going to be doing some work talking a little bit about gender, about girls, and a little bit about boys. Um, And so I want to start with the observation that the relationship with the female and the body has often been a story of struggle. It's often been a story of struggle. The relationship between the woman and her own body and the image that she might develop of her body, that can tend to be a story of struggle. If you think about what the relationship is like between the woman and her own body and the images that she sees in our culture about what a female body should look like, that can also be a relationship of struggle. And if you think about the relationship between the woman's own body and then what she perceives that others might want out of her body, that too can also be a relationship of struggle. So the relationship between the female and the body is often a story of struggle. One that maybe we don't talk about enough, one that maybe we're so focused on overcoming that we don't want to give maybe the language and the time to reflect on what that could be like. Because ideally, this struggle is not what we hope for the female. It's not what we want. It's not the story that we share with one another when the child is born, Because when the child comes into the world, at least in this country and in much of the Western world, the story that we share and the things that we imagine for the girl is that she can do anything. She can do anything that she puts her mind to. And I remember holding my little daughter and imagining that for her and her future in the moments right after she was born that with enough skill and with enough creativity and drive that indeed she can do anything that she sets her mind to. But, as that little girl grows and starts to develop a female body, I've discovered, and maybe you have too, that the world begins to look a little bit different. It's not that our hopes change for the individual, it's that we find ourselves faced with unforeseen roadblocks and unspoken expectations. And we sometimes lack the words or the skills or sometimes even the framework that can help us navigate, navigate the complexities of the world that we suddenly find ourselves entering into. And we begin to notice that that little girl finds herself in a body a body that has power depending on how it looks, a body that maybe she feels doesn't have power depending on how it looks, and a body that feels vulnerable and unsafe because of how it can be used. And it is very hard for that little girl as she begins to find herself in that female body to find in herself the person that she knows that is there, which is the person that can do anything that she sets her mind to doing. You see, it becomes very complex as the female inherits the body. There was an article that was published this week in the New York Times in a section called The Upshot, It came out on Friday of this last week that was spearheaded by journalists uh, uh, funded by the Pulitzer Prize to do some work around gender in the work of the adolescent, the age range of the adolescent. And they um, interviewed, I think, uh, schools across the country, but particularly focused their work on a school that was in Southern Oregon And um, the article was released on Friday, and it deals with subjects around gender, and I thought it would be really interesting to bring some of those sentences to the table for us today. And so it goes like this, and I just wanted to give a fair warning that some of this language might be a little inappropriate for um, some of our younger kiddos. So just do know that you can always talk to a safe adult about any questions that you might have following some of these sentences. Girls were as likely as boys to say that math or science was their favorite subject and to have considered running for office. They say that they were mostly treated fairly compared with boys. Yet, when it came to their bodies, girls said that they did not feel equal. About three quarters of girls, 14 to 19 in the survey, ages 14 to 19, said that they felt judged as a sexual object or unsafe as a girl. Girls were also more likely than boys to say that they felt a lot of pressure to put others' feelings before their own. About half said that they hear boys making sexual comments or jokes about girls daily, including a quarter of girls ages 10 to 13. The middle school girls were unanimous in what they valued most in themselves, intelligence and confidence. Girls have been told that they can be anything they want to be, and it shows. They are seizing opportunities closed to previous generations in science, math, sports, and leadership. But they're also getting another message. What they look like matters more than that. Sally, ages 13, who is a gymnast who excels at math and wants to be a lawyer, says this. As long as I'm confident in myself, I can put myself out there and other people can take it or leave it. However, boys don't always see it that way, as Sally observed. If they see a girl with a nice body, they're going to go after seeing that body. It's like, who can get most of the girls? That's Sally's observation about some of the boys. Boys said strength and toughness were the male character traits that, they valued, that they were valued most by society. Three quarters of boys said that they felt pressure to be physically strong, and a majority felt pressure to play sports. Asked what society expects boys to do when they feel angry, and the largest shares said that they were supposed to be aggressive or suck it up. Half of the boys said that they'd heard men in their family make sexual jokes or comments about women, and those boys were more likely to feel pressure to be tough and to play along. An even bigger share, 82% of boys, said that they had heard another boy criticized for acting like a girl. End of quotes. From the article today. You can reference that online, if you wish, through the New York Times. I'd like to point out, going back to our text today, that the women in our text today are not in fact victims in their body, but through the course of the text, they actually end up, at the end of the day, being victors in their body. And there are a few things that Jesus does, there are a few things that they do in order to make that happen. And I'd like to notice together, as we turn our mind back to the text, how Jesus interacts with them, and how he does not just, in fact, wave the magic wand of healing But what he does is restore and heal them, and he sets them free in their own bodies to be who they are. And Jesus, as a man, through his actions, his work stretches both into the masculine and the feminine, and it offers a healing image for both today. Remember, this is the season in Jesus' ministry. It's early in his ministry, so he's very popular with the crowds. We haven't yet gone to the end of his ministry where he ends up being a little bit more precarious in terms of which crowds are around him. At this point, his ministry is still building a lot of momentum. And he's just traveled from the other end of the lake where he was healing the man who was sort of terrified and petrified within the tombs. He comes back to the other side and now he has this huge group of crowds that is waiting for him on the other side. And they're, ra- they're waiting for him to offer teaching. Before he gets started in any of that work, he notices that there is a man from the synagogue who comes to approach him, asking him, begging him, please, will you come with me? My daughter is on the edge of death. If you come, she can live. He approaches him with that kind of a request. And so Jesus goes, but he goes not alone. The whole crowd is with him. And you can imagine if you've ever been on anything like maybe you've gone to a big football game down at Quest Field, where there's folks pressing in on you at all sides or a concert where you're towards the front, or for me it's happened, Uh, when my son and I were traveling to New York City and we were in a subway car and all of a sudden as people are coming into that subway over and over and over again, you begin to realize that there is no way that you can exist without touching another person. And that's what's happening to Jesus in this crowd. In fact, if you read it in, the text is very clear that the crowd is pressing in upon him. There's so many people that he has nowhere to go. And yet, there is a touch that occurs on his body. It's on his cloak, but it's connected to his body, that he recognizes and that he senses that in this touch, something has happened to change the game. He feels the power go out of him. Now, I want to pause there for just a second, because at this point, Jesus does not know who touched him, nor does anyone else in the crowd. In fact, the crowd says, and the disciples say, how can you even point out that there's somebody touching you? Look at all these folks who are pressing in. The woman could have easily disappeared into the crowd. The woman could have easily been overseen and not even noticed. The woman who had been marginalized and tried to find healing and had not found it in any other place, who had become invisible to culture because she was used up, used out, Unable to offer anything else is suddenly the one that Jesus is able to notice. Who touched me? And he looks around, asking for the invisible to become visible. And so the woman comes to the front and says, "I know that if I but touched you, that I could be healed." And so Jesus speaks to her and tells her to go in peace, to be made well. The word in Greek is the same word that we get for the word hygienic, it's the word that we get hygiene from. It means to be clean, to be made well, to be in one's full state. So he looks at her and he says, Be made well, be clean, be restored, be healed. And in that, she moves from being just a silent person in the crowd to coming to the front as somebody who receives a story and a word and a name in Scripture. Not a real name, but at least we've got her nailed down as the woman with the hemorrhage. The woman who could have been invisible, the woman who could have remained on the sidelines, and yet Jesus calls her forward, not because of what she can do for him, but because she's human. Because she's human. Then he moves on, approaches the house, comes to a place where he's getting closer to it, and all of a sudden somebody comes out out of the crowd and says, What? Don't come any closer. Just stay where you are. Never mind. The daughter is dead. Let the teacher go on his way. Now, who can remind me whose job it was to take care of bodies once they had passed from living to dead? The women. Once that body moved from life to death, whose job was it to come in and cleanse Mourn, oil, wash. That was women's work. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. She's crossed into the land of where the women are supposed to come in and do the work. No, Jesus says, do not fear. Only believe. Believe. He clears out the crowd, again, moving everybody out of the way, comes to the little girl, and says in Aramaic, that's why it's translated here, it says, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. You see, the way that Jesus calls her, he calls her by who she is in terms of her body, how she presents in terms of her body, which is female. And he says, little girl, get up. And she gets up and begins to walk around. And then he says, give her something to eat and don't tell anybody. But this little girl who's only 12 years old, in one year, she's going to come of age into the work of being a woman in that culture. And so as Jesus looks at her and says, get up, Part of what he's doing, yes, healing her body, yes, giving her life, yes, calling her forth from death to life, but also calling her into the life of being a woman and blessing that and saying, Talitha, kum, come into that space because you're human and you can be there. You can occupy that whole space. So how can we leave our text today? I think with a few things. You know, the fact that Jesus is male and the fact that these healings are female offers us such a beautiful picture of how those two genders can work together and can come together for the course of reconciliation and healing. You see, Jesus crosses into some of the spaces and some of the roles that would have only been sort of secured and retained for women's work. And he crosses into that space and calls it forth from invisibility to visibility and then blesses those women and sets them on their way into the course of their life. So, friends, this whole idea of stereotypes of what is male and what is female, this does not come from our gospel. Jesus himself moves from one space into another, enters one for the course of healing, and then moves back into the other for the course of healing. That's the one that we come around and worship. And so as we think of some of the things that our girls and boys are faced with in their life today, as we reflect back into that article that we heard read earlier and think about the challenges that boys face in being made to sort of play the game of sexism so that they are accepted by their elders and the way in which girls have to navigate this world of being vulnerable and afraid because of their bodies. Friends, this does not come from the gospel. We have a gospel that offers a word of hope in the middle of all of that that says that the masculine can actually enter into the feminine and that the feminine can be fully human and return back to the masculine, that is the way that Jesus leads, and that is how we need to follow as we walk in his footsteps. So that is where we need to leave our text for today. I realize that a lot of these things that I'm talking about might be foreign to some of you As maybe your kids aren't in school, or maybe you um, are not able to have these kind of conversations in the context in which you might exist on a normal sort of five working, five day work week basis. But these are some of the realities that our kiddos are facing on an everyday basis. From the elementary schools, to the middle schools, to the high schools, these are some of the challenges that they have to learn to have language for and navigate. And as their community of faith, it is our job to figure out how to come behind them, to be their coach, to notice where those roles are getting blurred and mixed up, and to help them set themselves at sail again so that both boys, and girls can indeed accomplish everything they set themselves out to do so that their bodies are not a hindrance, but so that they see themselves made in the image of God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, who is neither male nor female, but both, we ask that you would help us to love and affirm our children, all of the children that come into our midst that we might be able to coach them and to come alongside them and to help them be everything that you have created them to be. We ask that you would give us guidance in your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.